book of Revelation this morning, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. What chapter did we leave off in? You guys remember? 14. 14. All right. First, first service, they were like, kind of glazed over, and <laughs> I gave the benefit of the doubt. It's a little early, you know, early Sunday morning, but we're up and ready today, right? Chapter 14. Open your Bibles with me there. Revelation 14. If you come tonight, 5 o'clock service, we will be in Revelation 16. Working our way through a little bit ahead in the evening service. Revelation 14. Is everybody there already? That's awesome. Wow. You guys are ready. That's what I'm talking about. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much um, for this time together. We trust that um, the songs have blessed your heart this morning. Thank you for gathering us as a family, as your church, as your bride, Jesus. Thank you for how you love us, for how you cherish us, and for how you nourish us. And we are in desperate need of you nourishing us this morning. And so as we open your word, would you do that, Lord? Would you meet us in a special way, each and every one of us? You know what we need to hear this morning, so speak, Lord, your servants are listening, and by the power of your Spirit, would you change us? We desire a fresh work of your Spirit to hear from you, to see a work done by you as only you can. We pray for your glory in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, Revelation chapter 14. Remember where we left off. I just, I want to give a really brief kind of overview of where we are, um, kind of a bird's eye view. So we understand the context uh, of where we're going to be this morning. Um, we're in this period in chapters between chapter 6 and 19, a seven-year period known as the tribulation. tribulation period, right? I believe the church, the bride of Christ, will be gone. We will not see that time period. I've talked about that many times before. We've discussed that. You're entitled to your own distorted opinion. I believe Jesus is going to come, and we're going to be raptured. He's going to take us to the place that he's preparing for us. Right now, we have not been appointed unto wrath, and so he's going to come for his bride, and then seven years of tribulation will follow. It is going to be a gnarly time on planet Earth. You don't want to be here during that time period. And what's going to happen is three reasons for the tribulation. We've discussed this before. Number one, God is dealing with the nation of Israel. Um, He's going to break the stubborn pride um, of the Israelis, and at the end of the tribulation, They will recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, and they will cry out for him to come. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord will come um, to rescue uh, those that have surrendered their lives to him. Also, during this time period, God, for lack of a better word or phrase, God is going to fumigate planet Earth. He is going to remove wickedness and wicked ones. All of this pressure and tribulation is going to happen in order to bring forth the beauty of God's kingdom. But wickedness and wicked ones must be removed during this time period, though. While God's wrath is being poured out, he remembers mercy. There will be a lot of people that get saved during this time period. And that's what it's going to take, some, some pressure, some, some, uh, some tribulation, some distress to cause them to, to repent and to cry out, for Jesus, and I've shared over and over. That's what happened in my life. It took hit me hitting rock bottom, and the love of Christ conquering my heart for me to surrender to Him, to come to know Him personally. And so, again, we are we are probably in the second half of the tribulation now. 
Um, After the three and a half year mark, we're probably in that last three and a half years. And we're going to see that this morning. It progressively gets worse and worse and worse. Jesus said, you guys remember when he spoke to his disciples on the uh, Mount of Olives as um, he was discussing with them future events, end times, before his kingdom comes on this earth, he spoke to them about the, the signs of the times, the things that would happen, just like birth pangs. And moms, you guys know what birth pangs are like, correct? The closer and closer you get to delivery, the birth pangs happen with more intensity and more frequency, right? Same thing's going to happen before the kingdom of God comes on this earth. Those signs, those things that, that Jesus spoke about will happen with more intensity and more frequency. And so... Um, in all of this, God is so merciful, you know. He's still reaching out to rescue uh, men that are shaking their, their fists at him. It's so awesome to see the mercy of God. Well, chapter 14 begins. I'm going to read the first um, five verses. Again, we get a look into the future, what's going to happen. God's word says, then I looked. Who's I, by the way? John. Is this John the Baptist? John the, the Apostle John. The Apostle John, he looks, and behold, behold means check it out, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder, And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song. Notice where? Before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb. Wherever he goes, these were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb, and in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault. Notice this, where are they? Before the throne of God. And so let me draw your attention real quick back to verse 1. John looks, he's like, check it out. Here's what I saw. And remember, John is doing the best he can to describe the things he is seeing and the things that he is hearing also. He uses those words like and as over and over and over again. And so he sees a lamb. Who's the lamb, by the way? Jesus, Jesus, right? John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? Peter spoke about Jesus as the the precious, the pure, spotless lamb of God, right? We're redeemed by his blood. We've been purchased, set free by the blood of Jesus Christ because he gave his life for us. And so there's the lamb. And notice he's not sitting. Jesus is not sitting because awesome. It is awesome. (laughs) Usually he's seated at the right hand of the father, correct? But we see him here standing, and where is he located? On Mount Zion. Mount Zion, so so check this out. It's either referring to physical Mount Zion, which is the mountain region in and around Jerusalem, or according to, if you're taking notes, Hebrews chapter 12, 
It's speaking about the, that heavenly Mount Zion. I personally believe, this is my own opinion, you're entitled to your own distorted opinion on this. I believe it's speaking of the heavenly Mount Zion. Why? Because you read throughout the text that where are they? They're before the throne of God. They're before the throne praising God. They've got this song that only they could learn. And who is the they? Who is with Jesus? Who is with the Lamb? The 144,000. Did we meet them earlier already? In what chapter? Who remembers what chapter? Chapter... I'm showing this half of the room, trying to give them a little help. Chapter 7, we learned about them. And who are the question is, who are the 144,000? I believe, again, God is super clear... He says what he means, and he means what he says. There are 12,000 men from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so 144,000 Jews for Jesus. That's how I remember it. They love the Lord. They've been set free. By the, they've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And they are, they are being used by the Lord in this gnarly, dark, difficult time. God is using them to reach a lost and dying world. And it's beautiful. Notice they have a special mark on their foreheads. Isn't that cool? Special mark. Whose name is on their foreheads? Our Father's name is on their foreheads. And so it's a sign of ownership, you guys. It's a, remember last week we learned about those who would take the mark of the beast. We see here that they have the mark of our Heavenly Father on their foreheads. And I like that God writes His name on His stuff. It's a mark of... Does anybody here write their name on their things? Some of you don't write your names on your Bibles, though. Because I go through the lost and found sometimes just checking out. That's a cool Bible. I wonder who it belongs to. No name? Okay. No. <laughs> just kidding. Because there's some great Bible. Like, I love all different translations. And some of you guys got some pretty super Bible. Nice leather, right? Not pleather, but leather Bibles. And you need to put your name on your stuff, you guys. It's a sign of ownership. And I love that the Lord has his name on us. You know, the Holy Spirit is, is, the, is the mark on us as believers, the, uh, the, the guarantee of the inheritance. And so John hears something in verse 2 and 3. He hears a voice from heaven, and it sounds like, like raging water, right? Just thumping water. The, the sound, you can hear it, you can feel it. Sounds like thunder. John hears something else. He hears some harps being played in unison together. That tells us something. That there's something in heaven, right? There's going to be what? There's going to be harps in heaven, you guys. I think they're going to have distortion. We're going to be rocking those things. There's going to be harps. And so they're playing together. But there's also the 144,000 are doing something. They're singing. What are they singing? Isn't that great? A new song. They're singing a new song that no one else could learn but them. It's a unique song. Only they could learn it. They have their own special song for Jesus. And you know what? Can I ask you this morning? Do you have your own special song for Jesus? We should. I remember when I got saved, when I got redeemed by the Lord, it was like I got saved and all of a sudden I'm singing songs to Jesus and I don't even know any songs to Jesus. It's just like roses are red, violets are blue. Jesus, I love you. You're so awesome. So, so killer, Lord. That's bad theology, son. I know. I mean, I didn't know at the time. Do you think the Lord was still blessed? Does he work out our theological kinks over time? He does, doesn't he? I'm so glad I didn't have people pointing at me. You're, that, theologi- that song's wrong. You can't sing that, boy. 
All I know is I love Jesus. I'm saved. I'm born again. I couldn't believe it. The, 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 the sun is shining brighter. The birds are singing louder. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I can't believe I can be forgiven. That I'm heading to heaven. I am alive in Jesus Christ. And so, and I think, you know what? We should continue to sing a new song to him. We should still be singing songs to Jesus. Listen, it is an evidence that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You're a Spirit-filled believer. One of the evidence is you're, you're singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's what it says, Ephesians 5. Singing and making... Is the Lord still is the Lord still hearing the melody in your heart? Are you still singing Him a song? He deserves it, doesn't He? To sing songs to Jesus, and sometimes it's a new song. I love when the, I love when the band introduces new songs that are praising Him and giving Him honor and glory. And so, notice in verse 4 and 5, we learn how they lived their lives while they were here on earth. They were sexually pure. They were devoted to purity. Number one, they were devoted to purity. Sexually pure, set apart for Jesus. And I love this phrase in verse 14. This is highlightable stuff, underlinable stuff. These are the ones who do what? They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Isn't that beautiful? They follow Jesus. Wherever Jesus goes, they go. That is the safest, most blessed, most secure place you could ever be is following Jesus, the Lamb, wherever He goes. Listen, everything will be okay if you're following Him, by the way. Did you know that? Listen, let me ask you a question. Are you, are you following Jesus or are you dragging him along with you? Because he's called us to follow. That's a little amen back there I heard. Thank you. <laughs> is it your plan or his plan that's going on in your life? Because can't we do that? We make our plans and then we say, oh, Lord, bless these plans. Oh, Lord, here's what I got planned out. I got my five-year plan, my ten-year plan. Here, I'm, I'm rolling. And, and Lord, bless it, please. See ya. We're not to drag him. We're to follow him. Let your will be done. Lord, not my will be done, but your kingdom come. Your will be done. My kingdom goes. My will goes. Are you following Jesus wherever he leads? It can be hard sometimes, can it, following Jesus? Even he would lead us into a hard place. Does he ever lead you into hard places? He has me. Biblically, he does it too. Remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt? Remember where God led them the first place? right to the Red Sea. Where are we go? Are we going to swim across? <laughs> and then who comes following behind them? Do, 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 do. Here comes the Egyptians, right? They want to kill them. That, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And it was the Lord who led them there. How could the Lord lead us to difficult places? Why would he do such a thing? Because everything he does is righteous and true. He wants to show himself mighty on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal unto him. He wants to show himself to you and me in a special way. His goodness, his grace, his faithfulness, his care in your life. But it's following the lamb wherever he goes. Didn't Jesus tell us to follow him? Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. How about that promise? Just come hang out with me. Come follow me. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily, Jesus said, and follow and you guys know that verse, don't you? Luke 9, 23, follow him, follow Jesus, right? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Jesus said, follow me. He called the disciples, he calls us to follow him. Remember when Peter said, well, what about that guy, Lord? What about John? I know you call me to fool. What about him? What do you got planned for his life? What do you got going on with that, with that dude? 
And what did Jesus say? Never mind him, you follow me. Because can't we do that? We get our eyes off of Jesus and start worrying about everyone else. Are you with me? Not a whole lot of amens, maybe just me. Amen to that, dude. Notice what what we're told here in verse 4. They're redeemed. First fruits, right, to God and to the Lamb. That that means that many more would come after that. And then notice in verse 5. Not only were they committed, check this out, not only were they committed to purity in their lives, but they're also committed to righteousness. What does it say? In their mouths was what? No no deceit. So no lying, no phoniness, no hypocrisy. They were the real deal, you guys. That's what the Lord's looking for us, for us to just be real. Are you with me? He had the, Jesus had the hardest words when he came, he had the hardest words for who? The religious hypocrites of the day that wore masks. And that will, if you are a mask wearer, that will wear you out if you're deceitful or hip- hypocritical. And so these, these precious people, these 144,000, they, sp- they spoke the truth in love and they walked in the light as he is in the light. Listen, now is the time for us to walk the same way. If there was ever a time in history for us to walk in purity and righteousness, it's right now, you guys. That our lives might make a difference with the people that we come in contact with at work, in our neighborhood, in our communities, in school, you guys. If, if Listen, the Lord wants to use your life to make a difference. Has someone ever made a difference in your life? I know there's been people that have made a difference in my life. God wants to use your life to make a difference in other people's lives as well. And that's what they did. And look at where it ended. As you stand with Jesus, he stands with you. They are without fault before the throne of God. The 144,000 are where? They are in heaven. And they are faultless forever in God's presence. By the way, God's word promises you and me the same thing. Jude 24, if you're taking notes. And to him who is able to, to keep you from stumbling, it's Jesus who will keep you from stumbling. Isn't that great? And to present you faultless before the Father with exceeding joy, before his glory with exceeding joy. He's going to present you one day saying, Dad, this one's mine. Totally faultless. Not, he's not going to bring up, you know, you driving to church on, what's today? September 1st, getting mad at your spouse couple of nervous laughs there. It's not going to bring up, you know, last week when you, whatever you did. That stuff has been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how powerful, hallelujah, that's how powerful the blood of Jesus Christ is. To wash away all of your sins. The blood of the Lamb. Because He gave His life. Well, so glorious. Now, three angels and three warnings. Look what it says in verse 6. I'm going to read down to uh, verse 13. Then John says, I saw another angel, check out this angel, flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come and worship him. Who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city. Because why? Because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. 
Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. So we see three angels, three warnings, and then this voice from heaven also proclaiming some encouragement also to the weary saints during this time period. And so let me draw your attention back to verse 6. What's the next thing that John sees? Think about that. I don't know if an angel makes that kind of a sound. We do know that he's preaching the gospel though, right? I mean, isn't that amazing? God does whatever it takes to reach sinful humanity. Here, we're getting closer and closer to the end. God's about to wrap it all up, usher in the kingdom. And there's people, there's still some holdouts. And so what does God do? Can you imagine walking out of church today and watching an angel cruise through the sky, hearing him preaching? I mean, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Preaching the, notice, the everlasting gospel. The gospel is forever and ever, you guys. The good news. It is good news, isn't it? Today. He delivers it there. And listen, God, God is equal opportunity, isn't he? Who, who does this angel preach to? Just a couple? Just a select few? Just a few, the chosen? Who does he, he preach it to? Everybody. Every tribe, tongue, nation. And you know what? I, I think about God, want, God does what it takes to reach Sinful humanity, what am I doing to reach sinful humanity? Do I have a vision for our our community? To reach our community. Listen, do you have a vision to reach our community? There are people that you come in contact with every day, I come in contact with every day, that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the cure, you guys. We have the cure for death. It's found in Jesus Christ. The problem is... God's prescription is the gospel. Man's prescription is religion. We have a problem. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all broke, we're all lawbreakers, correct? We're all law, God is holy. We are not. Man is separated from God because of our sin. We are sinners by nature. We are sinners by choice. We can't reach them. The chasm could only be breached or bridged by his son, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever believes in him shall never perish but have everlasting life. Salvation, listen, belongs to Jesus Christ and to him alone. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's, there was no other way to reach sinful humanity but Jesus coming and giving his life for us, the pure, spotless Lamb of God who took the punishment that we deserved, you guys. 
He took the punishment that we deserve for our crimes, for what we did. The wrath that we deserve for our sins, Jesus took upon himself that we might not face judgment, that we would pass from death to life when we repent and place our trust in him. That's good news, isn't it? Amen. That is, like, that's hallelujah, amen kind of stuff. Thank you, Lord. He did the whole work, right? He provided the, we provide the sinner, he provided the Savior. That's simple. And you turn, you trust in Jesus. He takes all your sin and he gives you all his righteousness. What a deal. And he is alive. He rose again on the third day. And he said, because I live, so you too shall live. So glorious the gospel. Well, look at the angel says in verse 7. This angel turns up the volume and tells mankind three things here. Number one, fear God. Fear him. Give glory to him. And then why? For the hour of his judgment has come. Judgment is coming. And you need to make a choice. Either you're for Jesus or you're against him. Yeah, either you're surrendered to him or you're not surrendered to him. There is no middle ground. Jesus said, either you're, you're for me or against me. And so a judgment, it will be coming. You need to worship him, the one who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. And I think as we step back and just look at this, simple application. What does God expect of you and me? I think the three things right there. Number one, that we would fear him. That you and I would fear God. What does it mean to fear him? It means to revere, reverence, honor, tremble in his presence. Not, not, it's not fear of abuse. It's fear of his awesomeness. And it should provoke us or compel us to live rightly before him, having a fear of God. I've shared this before. I love the ocean, but I fear the ocean too. I love being out there, paddling into some sick waves, riding the waves. Awesome. But I also fear the ocean. There's some big fish that want to eat me out there. <laughs> There's some pretty gnarly critters that want to, you know, hit you with barbs and sting you and bite you. And there can be undercurrents. You can get a couple wave holds on big waves. Couple. I fear the I love the ocean, but I fear it at the same time. Listen, I fear God and I love him at the same time. And so the first thing we read about. The one who sees it all, who knows everything going on, we're to fear him. Number two, give glory to him. Glory means value. It means weight. Gl glory is what God deserves, you guys. We give him glory. And really that the full weight and value of God would be expressed and magnified in our lives. That, our, but that by the way we live our lives, people would recognize how awesome our God is. Does your life reflect that? How awesome our God is? It doesn't happen by grumbling and complaining, by the way. That's a turnoff. When we grumble and complain, when we go through difficulties or hardships, but when we praise the Lord through difficulty, when we keep seeking His face, when we follow the Lamb wherever He goes, in the ups and downs, the mountaintops, the valleys, no matter where it is, we give Him praise, we give Him glory, and we worship Him. What does worship mean? Really, simply the word means worth-ship in Old English. It means to ascribe worth to. It means we ascribe worth to God. We, we ascribe worth to God in many different ways. Number one, by our obedience to his word. You are saying, when you obey God, when I obey God's word, I'm saying, God, you're worth it. You're worth it to obey. When I trust him, my trust in Him, my faith in God demonstrates His worth. 
Lord, I believe you are worth it. I will trust you. Even when I can't trace you, even when things are hard and difficult, things are getting shaken up in my life, I will continue to trust you. And what you're doing, you're worshiping him. It's not just, it's not just singing a couple tunes on Sunday or tuning your radio in for a couple songs on KSBJ or whatever, wherever you listen. That's not the only worship with our lips. It's with our lives, you guys. And so we ascribe worth to God by the way we live our lives, by what does come out of our mouths. And so we, it also means to adore him. Do you still adore Jesus? That's what worship also means, to adore him. It literally means, in, in one of the words for worship, it means to kiss, to bow down and to kiss. I can't wait for that day to bow down and to kiss him. Thank you, Lord. You're worth it. Second warning, verse 8. Another angel follows right behind. And this angel speaks of what? You guys still with me? You guys still tracking with me? Verse 8 speaks of Babylon. What is Babylon? It refers to a literal city. Because it says it in the verse, doesn't it? In verse 8. Babylon is fallen, wiped out, is fallen. That great, what does your Bible say? That great that great city. It is a city. I, again, this is my own opinion. I believe that Babylon will be rebuilt for this time period. The ancient city of Babylon will be rebuilt. And I, will, I believe it will be the headquarters for the Antichrist and his sidekick, the false prophet. It's my own personal opinion. It's going to be rebuilt. Babylon also speaks about this world system, this anti-God, anti-Christ world system. It involves politics, economics, and religion all morph into one. And it's personified. This system is personified how? As a woman. Look what it says in that verse. Verse 8. Because Babylon has fallen. That's where this system is headed. Because, what's the next word say? She, her influence is global. She has made all nations do what? Drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. You know what that means, uh, that big phrase? She leads people both into spiritual fornication, which is the worship of other gods. When you leave the Lord and you get involved with other gods... Or you, or, you, or you say no to Jesus and you get involved with other gods. That's spiritual fornication. But also it speaks of physical or literal sexual immorality. That's what fornication is, sex outside of marriage. She leads people down that road. She's personified. If you're taking notes, you can read ahead. Chapter 17 and 18. She's personified as a woman, but more than that, a harlot, a loose lady. Offering material wealth. Sex. If you link up and party with her, you're going to go down. You're going to wipe out. In fact, chapter 18, verse 4, there's this amazing call out by God. And he says, and he's speaking to believers. And listen to what it says. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her Plagues. That's a call. God's people, come out, get away from this system, this anti-Christ, anti-God, economic, political, uh, religious system that's against the Lord. And you know what we see it happening today, don't we? Get, and what does God say? Get away. Because what's, what's going to happen to her? Judgment is coming. It's going to happen. And so look at verse 9, third warning. Angel number 3 follows, lifts up his voice. 
And what does he say? If anyone, if anyone chooses to worship the Antichrist, who's the beast? The Antichrist. That's right. If anyone chooses to worship the Antichrist and his image, we learned about this last week, that demonic representation that somehow comes to life. If anybody chooses to worship the Antichrist and his demonic uh, representation, receives the mark, chooses to take his mark, the mark of the Antichrist, on their head, their forehead or their right hand. By the way, can I just remind us that mark is not taken accidentally. It is a choice that people will make to take the mark of the beast. But there's a warning here for anyone that would do that, that there will be pain presently and consequences eternally. Look what it says to me. Verse 10, that person will be the recipient of the full brunt of God's righteous anger. Judgment will come. And there are seven bowl judgments left. We saw the seven seals. You guys remember that? What followed the seven seals? Seven trumpets. trumpets. There are seven more judgments coming. The seven bowl judgments are coming. So they will be recipients of, 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 of immediate uh, judgments. But also, it's a prelude to eternity. Because look what these verses say. The one who rejects Jesus Christ will end up in a place of real torment. Tormented, it says, with fire and brimstone. Right in front of Jesus and his angels. How that must hurt the Lord. How painful that must be for Jesus. Then verse 11, as they're going through pain and torment um, from the heat, smoke goes up forever and ever. There's no rest, no peace forever. It's eternal torment. Who will suffer? Look what it says. Who will suffer eternal judgment? Those who reject Jesus Christ and choose to worship and serve another God or, in context, the Antichrist. That is a, listen, that is a permanent damaging decision. If you reject Jesus Christ and die in that condition, the Bible says it is appointed man wants to die and after that, the judgment. And you will stand before, yes, you will stand before God and without receiving the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ, you will be sent to the lake of fire for all eternity. And I say that with a broken heart this morning. If you're here, you don't know Jesus this morning. It's not an accident you're here. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen, I don't need to talk about hell for hours and hours. Why? Because Jesus said the Holy Spirit is already convicting you. Because what does the Bible say? What did Jesus say? The Holy Spirit will come, and when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us God is, has placed eternity in men's hearts. I've ministered to so many unbelievers, and you know what they know? They know there's a hell. They know that judgment is coming. And what the problem is, is what happens? We harden our hearts. We close our eyes. We turn to, from, away from the truth, and we become harder and harder and harder. And listen, listen, listen. Eternity can, can begin at any moment for you or for me. And the one who's upholding your breath can say, you know what? That's it. That's frightening. I've done everything I can to reach you. And you don't know when that last breath will be. The only reason you and I are sucking air is because God is allowing us to. And so, have you given eternity a moment of thought? A minute of thought? And Jesus, it says, listen, in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember what he prayed? Father, if this cup could pass from me, there's any other way to save mankind 
Let this cup pass. Nevertheless, what? Your will be done. And we, we read about this cup. Jesus took the cup for us. The cup of suffering, the cup of pain for you and me so that we wouldn't have to drink this cup that it's speaking of. Jesus took the judgment we deserve for our crimes. And the Father, if you don't know the Lord today, the Father has placed the Son between you and hell. And He's reaching out to you right now. It's not an accident. You're listening. Again, you're listening. God stacks the deck in His favor that you might come to know Him. And you, you can receive Jesus' payment for your sins, or you can receive God's judgment for your crimes. It's up to you. It's a choice. God's not going to twist your arm. The Lord says, here's what I did for you. I gave my life for you on a cross. I took what you deserve because I love you. I mean, that's what conquered my heart was the love of God. It wasn't, it wasn't wrath. It was the goodness of God that led me to repentance. I was broken from, from all the things I was involved in. I was empty and I came to the end. And I was like, man, Lord, you still love me. You want to forgive me and save me? I'm down. Hallelujah that he did that. And he did it in your life too. He rescued you. Well, look at verse 12. Here is the encouragement. Verse 12. To these weary saints during this time period. Here is the patience of the saints. The Bible says, here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Remember this word patience? I believe it's, remember in the Greek it's hupomone? Hupomone. Kind of sounds Italian. It, it means to, to bear up under. To bear up under. To not throw in the towel. To keep on keeping on. To trust, keep trusting and obeying. In other words, God's saying to these precious people, you have made the right choice. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. It may not seem like it right now. Have you ever had that happen in your life? Like you've chosen to do it God's way and you're not seeing any results. Ever happen to anybody here? And the Bible says it's by faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. You hang in there. You keep pressing on. You keep holding on to Jesus, holding on to his promises. Even when you can't, you keep trusting him, even when you can't trace him. When things seem so dark around you, you're wondering, Lord, where are you? And remember what Jesus said on the cross, Father, where are you? Dad, where are you? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Dad! Where are you? He said that so you and I would never have to say that. Because Jesus promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's encouraging these precious people. And then he says, verse 13, John hears a voice that tells him to write this down. Bless it. What's blessed mean? Oh, how happy. Oh, how happy are those are the dead. Isn't that what it says? Oh, how happy are the dead. Notice, who die in the, what does your Bible say? In the Lord. That's talking about believers. Because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Lord. Isn't that a great promise today? Our last breath here will be our first breath where? In our Father's house. Right? So he says to these precious people, listen, oh how happy are you who die in the Lord now, hereafter, from now on. Yes, amen to the Holy Spirit. That what? That they may rest from their labors. Rest is coming. Rest is coming for you precious saints. Paul said in Philippians, remember Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is. To die is gain. To live is Christ. I'm going to live full on for him. To die is gain. I get to be with him. 
personally. And their works follow them. The things that they did for Jesus, does God forget? Does God forget the things that you do for him? Where do they go? Their works follow them. Where are they going? They're going to heaven. The things you do for Jesus, guess where they're going? That's why Jesus said, store up your treasures in heaven, right? I'm going to do a little investment stuff with you guys this morning. Are you investing in heaven? Your time, your talents, your treasures this morning. Jesus said to do that, to store up your treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He didn't say store up our stuff in the storage units on Barker Cypress and 290 over here and in your attic. Did he, he didn't store up your treasures in heaven, man. It'll, it will be worth it. It, it. Jesus said it. It will be worth it. Nothing you do, listen, nothing... Listen, not listen. <laughs> Nothing you do for Jesus is a waste. No matter how small, no matter how little, he takes note and it's going to follow you right right to the Father's house. But listen, the results of our choices will last forever. Awesome. Well, let's finish the chapter. We got time cuz we got 10 minutes. Yep. I think is that more like a 5? I can't tell. Verse 14. We only got a couple verses. Let's do it. Then I looked, John looks, and behold, check it out. What does he see? A white cloud. And on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man. Who's that? Jesus. Jesus. Daniel chapter 7, if you're taking notes, search it out. Find it. John chapter 5. Jesus spoke about his Father entrusting all judgment to him, the Son of Man. So here it comes. I believe it's Jesus. He's Cruising on, that's what John sees. Jesus is cruising on a cloud. And what's, he's got a gold crown. Look at having it on his head, a golden crown. And in his hand, a sharp sickle. What's a sickle used for? Harvesting, right? It's that big stick with a semi-circular blade on the end. And they use it for, for uh, trimming, cutting grain. So Jesus has got this big old sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him, who sat on the cloud, crying out to Jesus, thrust in your sickle and reap. Why? For the time has come for you to reap. Why? For the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud, who's that? Jesus. Thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. I just want to remind us the context here. Remember the the previous verses, God is encouraging the tribulation saints, those that are going through difficulty, suffering, they're giving their lives as martyrs, and now a sneak preview of what's ahead. There's going to be two reapings, two harvests that will happen towards the end of the tribulation, and the first one we read about is Jesus reaping a harvest on the earth. It sounds so familiar, if you're taking notes, Matthew 13. Remember the parable of the wheat and the tares? Can you remember that parable? Jesus talks about, here's these workers. They're, they got, they're taking care of their master, their boss's wheat field. And an enemy sneaks in. And what does he do by night? He plants some 
some tares. If you get a chance, look it up. It's called the Darnell seed. Plants that, and it, when, it, when it grows up, it looks just like wheat. And so when the field workers go and they look and go, dude, what happened? Someone planted some, some weeds in our field, man. And they go back to the boss, and what do they say? Should we rip it all, tear it all out? And he goes, no. Remember what he said? Wait till the end of the harvest, and then separate the, the wheat, the good stuff, from the junk. Gather the good stuff into my barn, and the other stuff, what? Burn. Get rid of. And so we have a picture here of Jesus reaping planet Earth. And you know what it speaks of? Listen, God takes care of those who belong to him. And God will take care of those that are involved in evil and wickedness and rejection of him. Because the, the field workers were like, yeah, we've got to do something about this. We've got to take care of the evil. We gotta re-. And, 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 and the master, the boss is like, no, don't, I'll handle it. God will handle it. His judgment, his justice is perfect, is righteous. That's why he says to us in his word, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Don't take vengeance into your hands. Because you don't have the full picture. He has the full picture. He sees everything. He knows what's going on. He knows those who belong to him and that have departed from iniquity and those that haven't. And so we don't need to go pointing fingers at people. You just be faithful to share the truth and love. To share with people, to love people, to point them to Jesus. And so, look at the last harvest here. We have time? Sure we do. Verse 17. Then another angel came out of the temple, out of God's house, which is in heaven. Nice. He also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which is also in the temple. This angel had power over fire. And he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth. Why? For her grapes are fully ripe. And so the one angel gives instructions to the other, get that sickle through all the grapes. And uh, notice what happens next. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled where? Outside the city, outside Jerusalem, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horses' bridles for 1,600 furlongs. And so notice these grapes, are these super ripe grapes are reaped, and where are they put into? Winepress. And you guys have seen like, you know, how they do the wine stuff. They put in the, thin, the, the big vat and then they smush them with their feet and the juice comes out and the seeds are removed and it goes through this whole process. This is no ordinary wine press. We're getting a behind-the-scenes picture of the judgment that will come at the end of the tribulation period, you guys. What's it talking about here? Well, notice it's outside the city. It's going to be a bloody judgment. And uh, notice what else it says. How the... The blood goes up to what? The horse. What's the horse's bridle? Isn't it that mouth thing? That you, right? That's when you ride. Like, that's my picture of riding. You steer him, right? Is that the bridle? About four to six feet off the ground, correct? You horsey people? You got some horsey people here? Some country bump, some country folks? Did you say country bumpkins? <laughs>
Four to six, so, and for how many furlongs? 1,600 furlongs. It says in the margin of my Bible, literally a stadia. How much is a stadia? It says about 184 miles in all. So there's blood four to six feet high for over 100 miles long. Oh, wait, oh, wait a minute. How could that happen? I, I don't know about blood, that much blood. You guys ever read books on the Civil War or World War I? It says trenches were filled up for miles with blood up to their necks because of all the bloodshed during the wars. So that's the picture here. So what's happening? The picture is Jesus coming back. Are you with me? To a little battle called Armageddon. You guys remember? It's not really a battle. Is it? We're going to learn about in Revelation 19. We're going to see what happens. Jesus comes back, opens his mouth, boom, over. <laughs> that quick. We don't even, listen, you're not going to be riding on your horse. Because we ride with them back, right? We're on horses, but we don't like to pull out our AKs, our Uzis, and we're like taking people out. To, we, Jesus just opens his mouth and it's done. Bloodshed. But I think personally, I think he first goes to Basra, to Petra. If you study this and you look at it through the Old Testament, I think he first touches down Basra, Edom, that area, and picks up, remember the Jews, where they were being protected by God. He gathers them up. Cruises on over now. If you're taking notes, Joel 3 speaks about where this judgment will take place. The Kidron Valley. He cruises over to the Kidron Valley. Judgment will happen. He will set up his kingdom. For how long? A thousand years, also known as the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that we get some, I don't know how this is going to work out, we get to rule and reign with him. That's cool. Jesus will usher in his kingdom. And it takes ugly stuff to do it. To bring, it takes ugly stuff to make it happen to bring forth beauty. But that happens sometimes. It takes difficulty, hardship, pain, and suffering to bring forth beauty. And that's what happens when his kingdom comes. Well, pastor, that's a big bummer to end on, man. Listen, the big bummer is if you don't know Jesus today. That's the big bummer. And you leave here... And you say, wow, that was really cool. Pastor did a pretty cool imitation of riding a horse. He's got off, though, because, you know, he needs to hold the hands a little lower. If that's all you leave here with, my heart's broken for you. Because the Lord has brought you here because he loves you. And all you have to do is open your heart to him. It's so simple. For those of us who know the Lord, listen, there were people that were faithful in our life to share with us. I pray that we would have a vision for this city, for our community of reaching them while we still, while we still have, are sucking air, while we're still alive, that God would use us, our church, your lives, my life. I don't want to fail in this area of preaching the gospel. We've been called to preach the gospel to make disciples. And so let's be faithful to that call, you guys. He didn't say be successful. He said be faithful. It is required in a steward that they be found faithful. And we want to hear those words, don't we? When we see the beautiful face of our Lord and we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I pray we all hear those words.
from our Jesus in his name. Lord.